So, talk to me. We talked about a lot of things this morning. I know you still have a question, though. Yes? I had a question in stage four where you're talking about the uh, major distraction or strong distraction in a, in a dull one. Wouldn't insight be considered to be a distraction? Um, or is insight considered to be a special case? You know, when you become, uh, you do the aha or so on and so forth, that displaces your awareness from your primary meditation object and so in effect uh, insight itself is pulling you away from from your, uh, am I wrong on that? No, insight is uh, uh, definitely a distraction. Uh, let me explain. There's, uh, <laughs> uh, if we can, if we can distinguish between two kinds of insights, mundane insights and uh, super mundane insights, okay? Uh, and really what I think we're talking about here at least what I'm referring to as a distraction is what we would call mundane insights. And they are definitely uh, a distraction that tends to make itself well-known, uh, a kind of distraction that makes itself well-known. Uh, generally, about the fourth stage and, uh, and beyond that. So the, the, the difference with supra-mundane insight is like it's a cumulative understanding that develops at a, at a deep intuitive level, you know, and, and, until it reaches sort of a, uh, a, a crucial point where it, it, it strongly asserts itself in one's understanding. And that's not what I'm talking about here. That's kind of a, a, a different process there. But mundane insights definitely come. You see what happens as your mind, as, as the power of your mind increase, increases as a result of this practice, your ability to think and understand definitely improves. And you've got in your mind a lot of things that... Uh, You've, you've sort of been trying to achieve deeper understanding of in one way or another or of one kind or another for a long time. Some of these are, uh, you know, sort of why you as a person are the way you are. Or, you know, why am I in the kind of circumstances I'm in? Or why do I do the things I kind of do? Uh, and, and then there's a kind of insight. So why is life the way it is, you know? And, what is, what's the real nature of karma anyway? And uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that we've been entertaining in our minds, you know, wanting deeper insight into. They're, they're mundane in the sense that the insights we have are an intellectual understanding. And as we've trained our mind, we have an instrument that is far more capable of achieving this deeper, more profound kind of intellectual insight into uh, what, are, what are the five aggregates about really and, and you know uh, what is the second noble truth anyway <laughs> you know what I mean uh, what is the meaning of life uh, 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 why are people the way they are uh, what should I do with my life uh, all these kinds. there's all kinds of insights of this mundane nature 
And one of the kinds of distractions that always begins to come up, uh, usually, as I say, about the fourth stage and beyond, is you're sitting there meditating, and all of a sudden this brilliant understanding comes up. Wow, right? Some of you will have had that experience already. You've created the circumstances. Uh, you, you've created the conditions for it. Let me just point out to you something a little bit more general about what in, in this progress. You know, when you're in the second and third, uh, and, and also in the fourth stages, especially in the second and third stages, most of the distracting thoughts that have been bubbling up and making themselves have the, been the most ordinary, mundane sort of stuff, you know, that, uh, of course, one of the things is you realize that your mind's full of this junk all the time anyway, but it is, you know, uh, from any sort of realistic perspective, it is awfully, awfully trivial, but it's the stuff that makes up our daily lives. And that's what your thoughts are about. You know, did I mail this letter? Did I remember to call that person? What am I going to do about this problem tomorrow? You know, very, very ordinary, non-exciting stuff. And as you work your way through the second and the third and fourth stages, a lot of that stuff just stops being there. And the nature of the distracting thoughts are, are coming from a little bit deeper level of your psyche. And they carry with them, uh, likewise, a, a somewhat deeper level of meaning and significance. And so that's why, at this stage, you've sort of quieted down all the ordinary noise of, of daily life, and you've let go of it, and it's, not, it's no longer cluttering your mind. Your mind's still going, but some of the deeper things that are in there that have been percolating all this time, they start to come to the surface. And one, one member of that category of things is you start to have these insights into things, into questions that you've pondered for a long time, for one reason or another, in one way or another. And they are quite wonderful. The dilemma, of course, is what do you do with them? Boy, this is good stuff. And the temptation is there to drop the meditation and think about this wonderful thought. Um, and if you do that, uh, you know, uh, you'll, you'll have a great sense of satisfaction with this insight that you've gained. Um, sometimes you can't help doing it to a certain degree because it just, you know, the, the power and the appeal, appeal of it when it appears, you're going to end up devoting some time to it. But what we find happens if you don't try as soon as you can to say, okay, that's wonderful. I'm going to spend some time really thinking about that later and put it in your mental pocket and save it for later. If instead you, in the middle of your sit, you start entertaining this and, and, and thinking about it, you'll reach a certain point where you're kind of finished with that. And your mind has no inclination at all to go back to watching the breath. And you're filled with this sense of restlessness. And it's very hard to meditate.
from that point. The other thing that will happen is that your mind will try to come up with some other wonderful thing to think about. And if you surrender to that, you know, uh, you're going to develop a pattern where every time you sit down and meditate, some wonderful idea comes up to be wanting to be thought about. If you look at those, if you allow that to happen, and then at some point you start to uh, hopefully will become concerned that, well, gee, the meditation practice that I did that started that, that caused me to have these kinds of wonderful thoughts and insights, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm spending all my time thinking about things. If that causes you to look at it, what you'll find is although you started out with a wonderful idea, a lot of the other stuff you've been thinking about is just really not that wonderful after all. It somehow come with the mental label, with the stamp of approval that, aha, here's another wonderful insight to think about. A lot of more. Your mind, your mind is, what you've done is you've conditioned your mind. Your mind has become capable of bringing up some of these things from the deeper, from its deeper layers. And you've experienced a lot of joy and satisfaction. So you've given the mind a lot of approval for bringing that up. And so now every time you sit down, it tries to dredge something else up. And it dredges it up with this label, here's another wonderful thing for us to think about. But a lot of, as I say, a lot of them aren't. And you're not meditating anymore. Well, uh, at least you're not doing the meditation that gave you the clarity and the calm of mind that allowed you to have the original insights. So something I will caution you about is getting, I, the name for this is, uh, it's, it's the, 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 the trap of, uh, of insight. It's the trap of discursive brilliance. <laughs> your mind becomes clearer, your thinking becomes clearer, you enjoy some, some, some true insight but then it just becomes a trap. And the contents of the trap are no longer the, these wonderful jewels, but just a bunch of meaningless baubles. So the sooner you recognize the nature of that trap and you go back to doing exactly the practice that created the uh, causes and conditions for the initial insight to arise, the better. You will continue to have uh, deep and meaningful insights arise as a result of your practice. Okay, but the way to deal with them is to say, "Wow, that's great! I'm going to save this for later." There is another kind of practice called analytical meditation, and uh, the appropriate thing to do when you get to the point where you're starting to have these these kinds of insights is to set aside some time in your schedule to engage in analytical meditation where you pick something, one of these ideas or one of these thoughts or something that you're still seeking a deeper understanding of. You know, I really want to understand, have a deeper understanding of uh, dependent origination, Paticca Samuppada, you know. Why on earth did the Buddha put Nama Rupa after consciousness and before the uh, Sixth Sense basis? I mean, that's an appropriate topic to engage in for analytical meditation. But separate your analytical meditation completely from your samatha practice. 
don't let the one overtake the other. They're, they're both wonderful. They both have a purpose. They each actually support each other, but you've got to keep them separate. Otherwise, your samatha practice, as I say, will turn into this game your mind is playing uh, of just trying to come up with some delightful thing to entertain yourself with <laughs> instead of practicing. Uh, so thank you for that question. It was a very good question. And while I'm at it, I'll point, to you, I'll point out to you, it's not just insights, psychological, and, and, and some of these are wonderful psychological insights. Why I am the way now I realize because my father was this way and I was raised this way. This is why this is why I always do these things, and, and so it solves some great problems in your life. Sometimes it's, they, they are good things. But there is another kind of thing that happens too, and for exactly the same reasons, it happens at exactly the same stage. You'll have things come up in meditation. You'll have like visionary experiences, and they'll also have a lot of content. You may have memories come up. Most of us haven't managed to get this far in life without accumulating a fair bit of psychological trauma of one form or another. You'll find that coming up. You'll find memories associated with powerful emotions, you know, fear, anger, pain, things like this coming up. Ooh, there it is. For exactly the same reason. Your mind has become focused and calm, and all of the ordinary day-to-day -day nonsense has dissipated. It's no longer in the way. The, the waters have cleared, and the things that are uh, present at a deeper level are now making themselves known to consciousness. These things are important, too. But the way to deal with them, if a, a, if a sudden vision as a part of a memory of some episode in the past accompanied by strong emotions come up. What not to do is to start processing that and reliving that uh, because that will keep you busy for a while but that thing will keep on exerting its influence. It will chew up your time and your energy and right now while you're reprocessing it and you're rehashing it and you're once again blaming the one that hurt you or blaming yourself for the thing that you did or whatever the emotional stuff happens to be. You process it, you re-experience it, and you're also re-imprinting it on your psyche. So it's going to continue to be messing with your mind in the future. The other thing that won't work is to say, oh, that's a terrible memory. I haven't thought of that in years. I don't want that. And squish it back down. This is going to come back. These things have been in your mind the whole time. And they've been affecting in so many subtle ways almost everything you say and do and think. They've been there. They're a part of the, the makeup of who you are. And they've been exerting their influences. And a lot of them are unwholesome influences. Traumatic things happen to us and we react to them in a certain way and, and they, they, they make their imprint. And then anything that even vaguely resembles that in the future is going to be influenced by that, that imprint. Do you see what I'm saying? you see what I mean? A lot of people pay counselors and psychologists thousands of dollars so they can go and dredge these things up, 
try to come to understand them. When they come up in meditation, you have a wonderful opportunity to deal with them and be free of them once and for all. Not by analyzing them, but by just simply confronting them, looking at them, accepting them for what they are. Coming from a place of, oh yes, there you are, and you have a right to be there. All these feelings, and yes, that, that stuff happened. Those feelings arose. But you know what? Uh, I don't need you anymore. <laughs> it's just, don't drive it away. Just look at it and say, mm -hmm. accept it for what it is. It's the result of past causes and conditions. It has a right to be there, but you have no need for it in the future. And so as much as possible, you just want to let it go. Not drive it off, just let it go. Let it disappear by itself. Sometimes it takes only one, one of those confrontations and you're done with it forever. Or it may have to come back a few times. But if every time you approach it with equanimity and acceptance and understanding and let go of it, pretty soon you'll be free from it forever. You'll be free from that subtle influence that has been probably getting in your way in many kinds of different ways in your life. You'll be free of it forever. This is part of the purification of mind. This is a very good thing. It's only a problem if you react against it and you try to drive these things back down, in which case they'll just keep coming up more strongly. Or if you end up in, in indulging in them, engaging in them, wallowing in them, reliving them, things like that. Okay. The purification of mind is very, very important. You're going to actually, in order, we were talking about these stages, in order to successfully progress through the 8th, ninth, and 10th stages, there must be a purification of mind that takes place. And it will begin uh, in the earlier stages. And it will be made up uh, of things arising in different forms that you just need to accept. Accept and let go of. And... Uh, the reason that has to happen is that these carry their own residue. They carry their residue of, of worry and remorse, and they carry their residue of anger and hatred, whether it's directed at somebody else or, or at yourself. Uh, you know, they, they carry this residue of negative mental states. And the arising of piti and sukha are directly opposed by the presence of these in your psyche. So a purification of your mind has to take place in order for the successful development of the 8th, ninth, and 10th stages. But that's the way to deal with it. Well, I'll just mention to you one other way that these things manifest. And, and this is, I'm not trying to give you an ex a, a, a totally all-inclusive catalog of how the deeper contents of your subconscious mind arise in consciousness during meditation. I'm just trying to give you some examples that will help you recognize the other forms it takes. I'll give you one more. Sometimes when you're meditating, you'll have a vision of something arise that, you know, will be a not, not a memory, uh, not anything that you, uh, that's been any part of your life that you remember, just some, uh, 
hugely emotionally endowed vision of something. For example, it may have seemed to be some horrendous thing, and you're saying, "Why, why on earth would my? Where did that come from? I, I, I never would think of such a thing like that. Where, where would such a horrifying idea as that come from? It doesn't matter. The fact is, in one way or another, you have these things in your psyche, and don't reject them when they come up." Just accept them and let them go. This is their opportunity to be liberated. <laughs> this, this is the opportunity for your mind to purify itself by taking this stuff that it's been hanging on to and not knowing what to do with so long and exposing it to the light of mindful awareness, allowing mindful awareness to see it for what it actually is, just some stuff coming out of your mind that's not really serving you and that you can let go of. Okay? So, I know there's a big span of things between these wonderful insights and between, you know, dealing with past psychic traumas or, or uh, horrifying ideas that arise. But they're all of the nature of things that are coming from the deeper layers of your mind. They they are a fruit of the practice and they're a necessary part of the, uh, of the process. So thank you for that question. Somebody else stimulate me to say something else. <laughs> I, I want to ask you something. Did the vision stop once you were concentrated? Like, like yesterday, the moment I closed my eyes, there was a vision immediately. Yeah. And then it took me out. Yes, you will. You'll go through a period. Some people uh, at least go through a period where there's a lot of this kind of visionary experience that takes. But uh, I, after a while, it kind of exhausts itself and it, it ceases to happen. And uh, the other thing that you mentioned earlier is that you were feeling a a. a bodily happiness that was arising when your mind is very concentrated. Now this is, you may have recognized that from my description when I was going through the stages, but this is the sort of thing that happens. Uh, it, it can happen at any time, but happens most, most specifically uh, in the uh, uh, seventh and especially the eighth stage of the practice when your concentration becomes single-pointed and then when you have periods where it becomes effortless. And this, this is Piti Sukha. This is an early manifestation of Piti Sukha. And it's at this interface of unification of the mind uh, uh, that uh, on one side of which is, is the arising of Piti Sukha and the development of equanimity and tranquility. And on the other side of it is where you have a lot of mental activity coming to the surface. It's at the interface of unification of mind where the, the, these deeper contents are coming up. This is where the visions and the insights and things like that. This is where they have the opportunity to come up, be released, and get out of way, allowing the unification of mind to take place and allowing the Piti Sukha to arise. Yes. So, um, kind of a really practical 
being in the stage two to four realm, you know, like I am, shouldn't I just sort of not care at all about stages five through ten? That's right. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the key thing is you just always practice at the stage that you're at. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, allow the practice to develop on its own. So there, if you start thinking too much about the later stages, then you develop a, attachment and craving, and these will only get in your way. And likewise, when you've had some, some wonderful meditation experiences that correspond to these advanced stages, uh, they may disappear. You may find yourself back at an earlier stage, and you may find yourself experiencing a lot of sense of loss and frustration and what happened, and maybe self-blaming and things like that. Don't. It's completely normal. It's going to happen. It's always going to happen. You know. Uh, so the thing is that you practice. The real value of, of having the of understanding these stages is being able to recognize the the state that your mind is in today at during this set, the stage that that represents, and then you know how to practice according to that stage. And so just always practice according to the stage you're at. Trust to the process. Trust that if you, if you practice according to the stage that you're at, you'll create the conditions for progress to take place, and it will take place by itself. Yes. I, I have two questions. First of all, that um, regarding to the your private speaking, is talking about the, um, I mean, uh, okay, I said that um, the thought. Okay, um, would the thought work come in, and then you will draw your attention to the thought, and you will lose lose the focus of your object yeah but I have otherwise otherwise you're gonna go for into the dual doing it yeah yeah so but my I have uh, the other experience experience like uh, the focus object is very very clear and I know everything all the detail and very deeply but they still has some thought coming out and the point bounce coming coming up coming up and rising and fall rising and some yeah. Some thought and is that the matter with this situation? Uh, well, that's uh, those thoughts that are still coming, but they're in the background. That's what yeah. we call the subtle distraction. And until you achieve single pointedness, they're going to be there. Okay. Should I should I treat treat them or? Well, if you if you don't have a problem with subtle dullness. And uh, if you, you have these subtle distractions, but uh, they don't have any tendency to overwhelm you, then, you are, then you've arrived at, uh, that's, or, or you, you are finding yourself at the state that corresponds to the sixth stage. And so the way, uh, I didn't go into a lot of detail about this practice at the sixth stage, but the essence of it is the more you ignore those thoughts, the fewer and less frequent they will be. So it's just through staying very, very clearly focused on the meditation object and uh, becoming aware of the subtle tendency of the mind to 
briefly go to those thoughts or to expand the awareness and include those thoughts and trying to restrain that, just trying to keep very, you know, that's where the words exclusive focus uh, I think are most appropriate. Uh, I mean, commonly in the meditation literature you'll see the term single-pointedness and and while that's a good description, I think exclusive focus captures more the essence of the method at this stage is that you're focused, but you're trying to have that focus exclude these things in the sense of ignoring the other thoughts. And to the degree you succeed in doing that, they will begin to fade by themselves. Okay. And the second question is like, because um, I, I, I didn't, I didn't then this 10th stage, uh, your theory before, um, but is that possible that like, you fall into like some some different stage. It's uh, my experience. Like it, probably I, I probably I'm in the six six stage. But but I also have some like fifty percent in seventh stage, and maybe <laughs> maybe like ten percent or twenty percent in the eighth stage. Is yeah. that possible? That's absolutely not only possible. That is that is completely normal. That's always the way it happens. You find yourself at different times, at different stages, you know, back and but but there will be a range that you're in and there'll be one particular stage that you're predominantly in. And over time that range will advance. And over time the stage that you're predominantly in will uh, advance. But there will still be they'll still be interrupted by periods where, you know, you're mainly in the sixth or seventh stage, and then you'll find yourself suddenly you've dropped back to the third and fourth stage for a little while. That's completely normal, too. And the other thing that is completely normal is that somebody who hasn't done much meditation before, they're starting out, and all of a sudden they have a sit where it's like they're in the eighth stage, you know. But the thing is that they won't be able to do it again. You know, it just, it just happened. And so, all of that, that, back to what I was just saying a few minutes ago, always practice according to the stage that you are. And over time, there will be the progressive to development. Don't be concerned if you suddenly drop back. Don't become attached if you suddenly have an experience of a more advanced stage. What you will normally find, though, is that, you're, that there is a range of stages that you're experiencing on a more or less regular basis and that there is one particular stage that is predominant. And that's exactly what you've described there, is that you're predominantly at uh, the sixth stage, uh, sometime, or maybe predominantly at the seventh stage. I didn't quite catch that. But you're sometimes in stage the, uh, a bit lower and a stage uh, a bit higher. Yeah, Yeah, but my question, okay, then that writes uh, the question, uh, if this is, uh, this is right, Okay, because every stage we have to something to focus on and to improve so we can get in advanced. Yes. Yeah, so if there's some situation like this, uh, should I focus on, on the solution on the sixth, sixth stage or seventh stage? or? Yes, we, and, and once again, we, when you sit down, if there are these thoughts coming and going, coming and going while you're focused, in other words, if you find yourself having an experience corresponding to the sixth stage, then you practice according to that particular level. If the oh, next okay, day okay. if the next day you sit down and okay. you find yourself that 
it's more at the eighth stage. You're having some some piti and sukha arising and some light and things like that, you know. And then you recognize, okay, this is more of the eighth stage. So you practice according to the stage that you find yourself at that particular day. And oh, sorry, the, the other question is that more more personal condition, uh, condition. So should we talk later or Unless it's uh, so personal that you are uncomfortable speaking in front of everyone yeah, else. Yeah, yes, yes, but but I I don't know if anybody interested in because. Well, let's let's try it out and see if it seems like it would be of, of interest. Then. But any, any, you know, if, if it's something that you would prefer not to have everybody no, else. No, no, no. I'm I'm really open. No. But okay. I'm just afraid to waste everybody's time. Let's give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because I didn't I didn't. Uh, my 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 uh, pre- regular practice. I didn't follow the 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 way you are teaching because mm-hmm. I never have the because I'm not good in English, so I never never go to your retreat. Yeah. So I'm not follow yours. But the way I'm doing, I'm still still uh, use the breath as a, the meditation object. Mm-hmm. But I didn't count it because the count is I think it just draw your attention to the mm-hmm. object. But I don't need to do that, so I, I didn't count it. I just start mm-hmm. from the from the breath, right. and then when I when I go when I go I can when I when I can focus on all the detail and the, and the what do you say sensation, mm-hmm. and then the 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 fox start the fox start to expand, but not not like you say that you expand it and the narrow and expand it. No, it just became expanded. And dip it and expand it and dip it and getting more and more and like uh, expanding like a whole into the whole body, even the whole environment, yeah. and and then get into even deeper to all the to more deeper detail on, yeah. on everything. But but not that, but not that just the, the the object itself. But the detail is on everything. It's a whole the envir- even the environment. Yeah. The details on everything, but not just the. The object is, is that the, is that the problem? Because because yeah. you say in the in the seventh seventh stage you should focus on the on the object. No, it's not a problem. Well, your your experience is uh, actually this is a, a brief summary, and, uh, and I've expanded this quite a bit uh, in a in a book. Uh, there's a, so there's a lot of things that I just can't go into in this briefing. One of which you've discovered, and I think this, the discovery of it is is fairly universal. Now, there's two things you said, and let me just address them in order. The first thing is you said that you never did the counting. That's fine. Counting is just a, it's just, just a tool, yeah. and it's actually one that most people uh, uh, find useful. But it's also uh, quite common that as a person gets more skilled, they don't bother with it anymore. They, they you know, they. They don't see the need for counting, so that's not a problem at all. It's it's just it's just a tool, and it's a tool that's mostly suited to the uh, er- earlier stages, uh, up to the fourth or fifth stage. Yeah, that, that's what I thought, but I just need to yeah. confirm. The other thing is you're finding that the scope of your awareness is spontaneously expanding, not just the subtle increase and decrease that makes you more or less aware of distracting thoughts and sensations, but it's like your awareness just spontaneously wants to expand yeah. by itself. 
this is this is completely normal. I think that most people who aren't guided to do this deliberately spontaneously have this experience, and I think you know. Uh, I, I think that this is it. the Buddha did not provide us with a lot of detailed uh, descriptions and information about meditation, but this is one of the, this is one of the, the things that he did describe. I think very clearly, although you'll find it enormously misunderstood everywhere. But in both the Satipatthana Sutra and the Anapanasati Sutra, he. Both of these sutras have in common uh, a, 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 a sequence of lines that uh, begins, gone to the forest or an empty place or the foot of a tree, so forth. He uh, sits down cross-legged, places his mindfulness before him, uh, and mindfully breathes in, mindfully breathes out. And then it goes through the very familiar sequence uh, when he breathes in a long breath, he knows he breathes in a long breath, uh, 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 out a long breath, in a short breath, out a short breath, he knows he breathes out a short breath. And then it says, experiencing the whole body, he breathes in, thus he trains himself. Experiencing the whole body, he breathes out, thus he trains himself. And there's been a lot of weird interpretations put on that that quite honestly, I, I think you can ignore. He's describing exactly what you experience. And I think there's so many meditators experience. If they meditate properly, the power of their mindful awareness spontaneously increases. And at some point, they find that almost irresistibly, their awareness increases. And so if you're meditating on the sensations of the breath, at some point, you can't keep it restricted to the sensations of the nose, the sensations of the abdomen. You spontaneously become aware of the sensations of the breath, of the sensations of the entire body. You find yourself experiencing the whole body as you breathe in and breathe out. Which is, you know, I had this experience, I've known so many people have had this experience, and then I read in the sutras that Buddha is describing it so completely, perfectly, clearly. You know, uh, it, it is just... Uh, it is something that spontaneously happens. Uh, but it's also something that can be deliberately used and cultivated. Very, very helpful in the sixth and seventh stage, or, or the fifth and sixth and sometimes the seventh stage, is to deliberately expand your awareness of the breath. So that rather than the you know, small focus, you, you're trying to be aware of the breath of the entire body. You see, in the fifth stage, where uh, the thing that you're primarily focusing on is enhancing the power of your mindful awareness and eliminating the uh, vestiges of subtle dullness. If you force yourself to try to be aware of sensations occurring in a larger spatial distribution in your body with the same degree of clarity that you were doing with some isolated point, this, this moves the mind towards a place of more powerful mindfulness. It moves the mind 
towards a place of uh, less dullness and more conscious awareness. So on the one hand, it happens spontaneously as mindful awareness develops, but you can also invoke it before you reach that power of mindful awareness to help to help enhance that. And this is this is one of the ways of using. Likewise, in the sixth stage, where what you would like to do is to uh, succeed in disregarding subtle distractions so completely that they go away by themselves. It is also true that in order to be aware, in, in order to experience uh, the whole body with the breath, means that you have to devote so much of your conscious awareness to that task that there's none left over to be shared with these thoughts that arise. And so it's a w it's, it's also serves as a way to help ignore all of these other things and so that they will go away by themselves. If you meditate on the sensations of the uh, breath and the entire body for a little while, you know, trying to be as fully aware as you can in the entire body, and then bring your focus back to this narrow place, you will experience a period of time where there is, there is complete single-pointedness. There is nothing else there. And then they'll start up again. You can go back and experience the whole body with the breath again for a while, bring the attention, bring the focus back here, and once again, you'll have. And in that way, you can extend and prolong and develop the state of single-pointedness. So we, so there are ways of using this. You discovered it by, just it just arose spontaneously in your practice, but it is also a very powerful tool to be used intentionally and deliberately. And I think what, uh, one that the Buddha pointed to very directly in those uh, those two sutras, and actually he repeats it again in the third, in, in the third sutra uh, that is the uh, um, I can't remember that Kayasati, the, the mindfulness of the body sutra. Is it called Kayasata or Sasati or uh, <laughs> anyway, there's three well, four actually, considering that there's both a satipatthana and a mahasatipatthana, and there's anapanasati, and then the, I think it's the kayagatasati sutra is the other one I think. And, 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 and that goes to the extent, if the person <coughs> practice meditate and they kind of more towards the whole body, yes. do we still ask them to come? come back to, you know, practice practice that, or just say, okay, go ahead and experience the whole body. Uh, there's still, there's a great advantage to coming back. Yes. Yes, there is. Because um, um, you can experience that stable single-pointedness. The, the sensations of the breath at the nose will, by the time you reach the stage in the practice, have become very, very familiar. And you can take advantage of that familiarity to allow your mind to move more fully into a state of pure introspective awareness. You let the mind follow the breath while conscious awareness focuses on the mind as it does so. Yeah, I think my question is more like in the beginning stage, if the person more used, uh, feel more comfortable, mm -hmm. you know, uh, observe the, the sensation body 
instead of, of, of the sensation for the uh, you know the, the tip of the nose in that part. It, it, are we still encourage them say to yes. change to this part or, 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 or say that's fine? We would still we would encourage them to do to do both to oh. use the awareness of the breath in the whole body because it has many benefits, but to all to continue to practice coming back to the, the, the focus in the smaller area as well. Not to just abandon the one in favor of the other, but to continue to do both. All right, we have just a, a, a few minutes before uh, we take a lunch break. And what I would like to do, I hope I'm not overloading you. Anybody feeling overloaded with you're not, you're not, you're not. I mean, the rest <laughs> of you are? Oh, everybody that didn't no. shake their head is feeling overloaded. <laughs> I have so much I want to share with you. It's a little time to do it. But, you know, once the glass is full, there's no point in continuing to pour the tea, right? Okay. I want to go back to the walking meditation. And uh, I want to show you uh, some alternative ways to, to practice using the walking meditation. <coughs> and in the uh, break that you have for lunch, perhaps you'll have the opportunity to try this out a little bit. I'm going to suggest that, okay, if we look at this walking, there are three parts to it, or three parts to the step, and then there's an intervening phase where we shift their weight. So there's a phase where you lift your foot, and a phase where you move your foot, where you place your foot, and then you shift the weight. And you lift this foot, and you move this foot, you place this foot and then you shift again. And after doing this practice a bit yesterday, that you, that's probably very well and clearly established in your mind that you can do that readily. Now, experiment a little bit with going to uh, a much more refined stage of doing this, and it will necessitate you slowing down somewhat the pace at which you are. But see if you can divide the process of lifting your foot into three parts. And do it any way you want, you know, that suits you best. I'll tell you what I do. When I walk, the three parts, one part is where my heel comes away from the floor. The second part is where the side of my foot and the ball of my foot come away. And the third part is where my toes come away. So that's the three parts. So if I put my attention on the sensations in the soles of my feet, I can focus on the sensations that are produced as I lift my heel. The decompression of those tissues, the little tingle as the blood flows in, you know, when I'm barefoot, when I'm in sock like right now, I'm very much aware there's a cool, the cool air that moves under my foot at the end of And then likewise, in the middle part, the same thing. 
there are various sensations that occur in that, and then as I, in the third part. So these are the three parts for me. You find your own three parts about lifting. Moving, moving has three fairly obvious divisions, at least for me. One is the raising, then the moving forward, and then the lowering. Right? Uh, actually, that's just this, this, this is all in the air. Third, by the end of the third part of the lifting, my foot's in the air. So there's a raising, there's a moving, and there's a lowering. So that's three parts to that. Now the placing of the foot can also have three parts. And what I usually do is uh, people walk in different ways. When I'm walking very slowly, I usually put the front part of my foot down first. And so I, that's the first part. And then the rest of my foot coming in contact with the ground. That's the second part. And then I just take the shifting of the weight, and that's the third part. And now I'm ready to move to the other foot. So now you find each step has nine parts to it, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> so you might like to experiment with doing walking meditation more slowly and seeing how clearly you can discern the different sensations that occur in each of those nine parts uh, with each step. Okay? This 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 will take a lot of focus, but you might you might find that it's actually uh, not that difficult. And uh, set yourself up. You might find this helpful. I'm not going to do this, but imagine that at some point I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say. I'd like you to describe to me the sensations in each of those nine parts as clearly as you can. So imagine you're going to have to give somebody a list. That will help you get them really clear in your mind. And with each step, you're looking to see the same sensations recur and identify the ones that are consistently there. So this is another way of doing the walking meditation. What this will do I mean, obviously, you're directing and sustaining your attention because there's a whole lot of engagement here. You've got a lot of things to, to do, and it's keeping you very, very focused. You'll be walking very slowly and doing this. So there'll be a lot of concentration and a lot of mindful awareness. So it's a very powerful practice. The other thing that's interesting about this practice is yeah, the vigilance is, is built in. Uh, a uh, there's a built-in reminder to sustain that introspective awareness that you're not letting your attention slip too much. And that's because what you'll find is when you're walking very slowly like this, that if your attention lapses even a little bit, you start to stumble, lose your balance. <laughs> and every time that happens, you'll know that your concentration is starting to slip a little bit or that some distraction was injuring you. So experiment with that way of walking a little bit, okay? Any questions about that? You can see this is just an, an extension. This is just a, an elaboration of what you're already doing, carrying it to another state. Can we hold our hands out like this? <laughs> <laughs> you can do anything you want with your hands, but I think you'll most likely find that either clasping it behind your back or in front of you while you're doing this very slow walking will be what works best. Some people can walk with their hands uh, at their sides, but uh, it actually seems to to help me stay focused if I clasp my hands and so I usually do that. But do what you want with them. Okay. Yes? Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to 
Put them in the air. Close your eyes. That's right. Tune, tune in on the FM station. <laughs> um, we've got a few minutes uh, to let me introduce you to yet another way of walking. It's sort of the opposite extreme. I, I, I showed you sort of the, the a, a, uh, yesterday a, a moderate pace. Uh, you're just you know, basically one step at a time. Not too slow, not too fast. And then I showed you one that was really slow going towards a lot more detail. Let's go the other way. Uh, at some point, and, and maybe you can do this during the afternoon practice session, experiment with this. But first of all, you'll, you'll need to uh, walk at some different paces to just uh, find the right speed. And what you're looking for, you know, it, it becomes really clear that when you're walking very slowly that it's very unnatural you have to be fully aware. You can lose your, your balance easily. That you know it requires a lot of awareness. It's very deliberate. It's very every part of it is very intentional. What you're looking for is to increase the pace to the point where it becomes automatic. You know when we normally walk along down the street, it's completely automatic. We don't think about any of it. We step around mud puddles and we step over things and we don't trip on tree roots and we don't even know that they're there. It's completely automatic, right? So what you're trying to do is increase your pace just to that point where you're walking fast enough that it's now, you know, the automaticness clicks in. And that in itself is, is important. You find that you, well, like now you're just the observer. Hey, my body knows how to walk all by itself. It doesn't really need me. I'm just a passenger riding up here in the cupola up at the top looking out the windows. So get into this, uh, you know, find, find this pace that you can maintain automatically without you having to do anything. The body completely takes care of everything. And you can just practice being the completely mindful observer. And then the main thing you want to do is stay totally in the present. I, mean, I, said, I said that yesterday, and that hasn't changed. Any tendency of your mind to go into the future or the past, or to think about something somewhere else, you want to come back to the present. Uh, and I'll just point out to you that when introspective awareness alerts you to the fact that, oh, I was thinking about something that happened yesterday, you're in the present then. You've already come into the present, because that's what you're doing now. You're thinking, ah, oh, I'm thinking about yesterday. Now that you're in the present, stay in the present, come back fully into the present. Now begin to explore the present moment. It has a diversity and richness that you may not have fully appreciated in the past. And you're walking, so there's so much going on. You're going to find it really useful to have an anchor for your attention, and that is going to be the sensations in your feet. And you can also include the sensations in, in, in the muscles of your leg. You're, you're now, you know, you're walking at a more spontaneous rate, so you're not looking at tiny nuances of sensation at the soles of your feet. So you're looking a little more globally, and so uh, things are changing more quickly, but there's the, the increase and decrease in pressure in the soles of your feet. And yes, there's a contraction of the muscles of your legs you can be aware of, and there's the 
perhaps the, the contact of I can feel my trousers legs against my legs, you know. Uh, so there's those sensations there. And so use the sensations that are directly related to the act of walking as your anchor to always keep bringing you back to the present. This is, this is your focal point. This is your anchor. But from that focal point, explore the totality of the present. Explore all of the different sensations that are present in your body through all of your five senses, five physical senses. Become aware of the activity of your mind, of the conceptual recognition that is constantly arising in things that you see and hear and feel. They, if you get good at it, and you don't have much time to do this, but hopefully you'll keep doing this practice at home in the future. As you get more and more skilled at exploring the totality of what's happening in the present moment, explore the mental aspects of it. Not just all the sensations in the body and the activity of the body and things like that. What's the mind? What's happening in the mind? Every sensation that you experience, everything that you see and hear and feel, is going to have some quality to it, pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And see if you can sort of tap into that. Maybe rather fleeting, but see if you can develop the habit of not only noticing what you're experiencing, but noticing the mind's reaction to it. Become aware of the mental state that you're experiencing as you walk. Um, and, and the subtle shifts that take place in it. You, know, you find that you're, you're walking along doing this practice, and you're in this beautiful place, and there's these uh, Mediterranean cedars next to you, and there's a beautiful flower over there, and you, and you feel the sort of joyful happiness that comes out of walking in a beautiful place. And then you reach the point, and you know, and somebody walked your dog, and you feel the reversion and the revulsion that, that happens, or you know, track your mental state as well. That's, that's but that's uh, that's getting into the future. All you really need to do today is to experiment. Uh, with this method of walking just fast enough that the walking is automatic and that you can be purely the objective observer staying in the pleasant moment with the single question what is happening now? What makes it up? You're, you're going to find there is so much going on. <laughs> so, anyway, it is now time for lunch.